You're listening to Teach, Think, Treat, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hello, my name's Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the tutor radiographer in medical imaging at RCH. Many of us are required to supervise students and some of us get training and supervision and this can be focused on teaching or training or giving feedback, just to name a few. And there are a lot of commonalities and predictable situations that we can train and practice for. So for example, we can train on different methods of how to give feedback to an underperforming student. However, there are some scenarios and discussions with learners that can be quite awkward, and many of these we can't get specific training for. A lot of these discussions that we don't want to have, but are very, very necessary. Well, today I have two people with me who are quite experienced clinical educators, and I'm going to present them with some tricky scenarios, and they're going to discuss with me what they would do in that situation. Now, this is one podcast that everyone should listen to. So from one side, if you're the supervisor, you need to have a few tricks up your sleeve for these situations. But if you're the learner, this is a good way of being self-aware of what it is that can be unprofessional in the clinical workplace. So our first clinical educator that we have is Danae Vanderselt from the RCH Occupational Therapy Team. Welcome, Danae. Thank you. And our second one is uh, Shiv Shantikumar, who is a consultant respiratory physician in, at RCH as well, and has come across quite a few learners in his time, I'm sure. Thanks for having me, Steve. No problem. Now. Ordinarily with these podcasts, we usually have some sort of script so that the person that I'm interviewing knows what I'm about to ask and they have time to formulate a response. But today, these guys actually have no idea what scenarios I'm going to present them with. And I really want to get their immediate response, as often we need to be immediate in our own response when we have these situations. Okay, so let's start with an easy one to get you started that you kind of knew might have been coming. And this is scenario number one, and I like to call this one the smelly one. So it's Friday morning and you have a student that started on Monday but has come to you on placement every day smelling of body odour. Your colleagues have come to you because they have all noticed it. What do you do? I think you could probably have one of two approaches that spring to mind and I'm not sure which one I'd use. It'd probably depend a bit on the situation. One is that you could be super specific and just call it out in a nice way as nice as possible so in when you're having some feedback with the student say something about you know the fact that professional standards are important there's multiple aspects to that one of them you know is making sure that we're presentable and part of that is smell and breath and body odor and things like that and uh, maybe that's something that they need to work on I imagine that would be quite a hard conversation I'd struggle with it the other the other way you could maybe do it is rather than specifically mentioning that that's a problem for that, not a problem, but an area to work on for that learner. You could maybe frame it in a more vague piece of feedback that maybe like, let's say you've got a group of learners that you could, you could give to the group, you know, might come across as a bit random, but just be like, try to kind of give that as a general piece of feedback. Oh, you know, like one thing that I've kind of come to realize with time is that there's multiple things to being professional and you know, one of them is, is, you know, yeah, your appearance and how you present and, and there's lots of aspects and this stuff is important and maybe hope that they pick at that, pick up on that. Yeah. I guess which one of those two I'd choose? Well, probably depends on the situation. Like 
how long I'm going to have with students or if I know that I'm going to see if, say, if I chose the latter approach, I'd probably ideally have a bit longer with the student. So I'd see if they responded. And if they didn't, then I can then go on to a one-on-one specific feedback session with them. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Danae? I think I'd go straight to the one-on-one, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yep. Um, I think kind of the way we do the supervision in OT department is it is quite one-on-one. It wouldn't be in a group scenario. So I think I'd just probably jump to the one-on-one. Timing-wise, it would be pretty good if it was that first week, probably have a reflective session on Friday anyway, would be the opportunity to provide some feedback. How to provide that feedback, I think, would be really tricky because the student would obviously be feeling pretty vulnerable in their first week. There's lots of pressure. And I think the feedback would be the tricky part for me is it whether you kind of say, I have noticed it, or whether you say, I've had other colleagues come up and let me know. I think it would be quite intimidating to say that it has been spoken about with someone else or, and someone else has raised it. So I think it would be better if it was just driven by me. Saying that it's something that you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. as okay. the supervisor. Yeah. Um, That's a really good idea, I think. Yeah. And then knowing kind of in the orientation, we do go through professional dress and kind of what the uniform expectations are. So I think I would relate it back to that as well. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, on the first day we spoke about professional appearance and what you'd be wearing as part of the uniform. You know, part of that is also attending to personal hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. It comes kind of back, I guess, to the making that known at the very beginning of a placement is what are the expectations on you while you're on this placement itself and and what they should be doing. And then you can, and, and you're right, then you can bring that back and say, well, you know, we mentioned that, these we've we've got expectations. One of them is is your professional appearance and your and and the way that you you know what effect is is you not smelling right having having on other on other um on other people in terms of not just you know your colleagues but also the patients and and things like that as well. Where you can muddy the waters a little bit with the group scenario, I think, is that sometimes if you if you have a specific issue with a with a specific person and you bring it up as a group, is that one of them technically being aimed at may just think, oh, well, that's not me. And so they don't actually understand that process and so nothing actually changes or whatever yeah. anyway. So you do have that. have that. It could be a way to approach it to begin with. And then if you're finding it's still a problem to say, well, you know what, we brought this up in the, in the last, you know, feedback session that we had with, with the whole group. This is something that I've actually noticed um, about you. I, I think that's right. Like hearing Danae's answer, I thought that's a better way to handle it doing this off the cuff, I guess, why, why that maybe was one of the first things that popped into my head is one, probably maybe doing it as a group is less scary for me as the person giving the feedback. So it's probably a bit about me being a bit avoidant of that conversation. And two, I think in my practice, I'm not so sure that we clearly set out the expectations of our learners and, and often it is more group-based. So then it might feel like a bit harsh going straight to a one-on-one thing when these expectations haven't been set out. But mm. may, but maybe the solution to that problem is briefly setting some expectations out at the start of the term. I but think it, in general, the idea of just getting it done is, is rather than hoping your learner can infer what you're talking about is, is, a, is a better way of doing it. Yeah. It, it may be an expectation that is set out though by their education provider. Yeah, true, true. Uh, and because uh, often that will be much more kind of spelled out as to what that is anyway. So, all right, let's move on to scenario number two. This is completely different. This does not have to do with personal hygiene. So you guys are off the hook with this one. 
Your student challenges everything that their supervisor does. Even if what they're doing is a simple, straightforward task, they still find something to challenge them on and the supervisors are getting very annoyed. What do we do in that situation? I can go first yeah. on this one. Yeah, yeah. Be good. yeah. <laughs> um, I think it definitely would be quite frustrating as a supervisor to be constantly feel like you're being challenged and questioned. And I think it would have to be raised in quite a reflective space. So if you, again, having that one-on-one supervision, you would have to address it with the student and say, you know, you know, across the course of the week when we've been doing clinical things and when I've been explaining to that, I feel that you have been asking a lot of, I don't even know if challenging would be the right word to use, but a lot of questions and um, I was just wondering kind of what the nature to those questions has been or there's been lots of questioning and what is your learning style? Is it that is that how you learn by questioning lots of things? Yeah. And then maybe providing some parameters around that so it could be you know, we're going to go and we're going to do a session and it, maybe it would be better if you hold your questions to the end and then we could address them all together uh, as a one-on-one session afterwards so you're not asking those challenging questions during the session. That's a great session. idea. Yeah, especially in front of families and children, if you were getting those challenging questions, it would be very hard to remain kind of providing that clinical um, service but also trying to contain the student I think would be pretty challenging. Yep. Yeah. What do you think, Shiv? Yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. The other things that just pop into my mind are perhaps reminding your student, their supervisors are trying to do two things at once, like provide a clinical service, maintain the uh, therapeutic relationship with the child and family, as well as teach, and that, but that the priority kind of needs to be on that clinical care aspect and that constant questioning may uh, undermine that a bit. So if you could save your questions to the end, that would, you know, it's good from that point of view. The other thing is, I guess, ideally it's something that you've experienced. So like, let's say, let's say the students place with you and four other colleagues and you're all consistently experiencing it. I think that makes the feedback easier. I think where it's tricky is if, uh, if you haven't experienced it yourself and and, and other people have reported it back to you because obviously you want your learner to be engaged in asking questions and that's a really good thing. And I can imagine as a learner, it might be hard to find that balance. So I guess the other thing I might do is bring it up with the learner, raise it, but then moving forward, I might also ask my colleagues to just set some parameters at the start of a session, just say like about when, you know, are they happy to be interrupted or would they prefer all questions at the end? And, uh, and kind of give them autonomy to say, well, I've had this conversation with the learner. Please feel free to kind of give them feedback as you're going yeah. so that also the learner can try and kind of learn as they're going what an appropriate balance might be because sometimes it's hard to kind of explain that to them with hindsight. Yeah. It, uh, it does, again, it kind of comes back to expectations and setting expectations at the beginning of a learning session, I think, anyway. Sorry, on to scenario number three, the socialite. This student sticks with the supervisors who are their new mates. As a result, they focus a lot more on the social side of work than on the learning tasks. And you've noticed this and they're worried that they're going to fail to meet their clinical objectives. I think when you can lay out your learning objectives at the start of a, of a, of a placement or a, a, a term or whatever you want to call it. So, and then I think you can always bring it back to that. And, and I guess often behaviours have a positive and, and negative aspect. So I think it's good that, you know, you're learning how to fit in with a team within a hospital and making some positive relationships because that's an important part in your career. But 
always that's kind of secondary to being having a good core skill set and being able to execute your job. And if you're not learning what you need to on a placement, that's going to affect that. So start of the term, we, we said we hoped that you would learn X, Y, and Z. Um, do you feel like you're on track? It feels like, you know, maybe you're not on track and this might be a potential reason why. Let's just try and shift the balance so that the learning the content is the primary focus. Yeah, absolutely. Danae? Yeah, I'd agree. I think it is, it's such a fine balance for students when they come into the workplace and it, I would do exactly that same thing is go back. The objectives are set at the beginning of the, the placement and just really reiterate that that's what we're here to focus on. Definitely relationships are a part of that and are important in learning, but we're really here to focus on those clinical aspects as well. Fantastic. Number four, the constant worrier. This student worries about everything. They're worried they're going to fail, that their supervisor doesn't <laughs> yeah. like them, that they won't meet clinical objectives, that they're going to be late for work and that they won't get a job at the end of their course. I probably was that student myself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think it really comes down to providing a lot of reassurance and providing some support around what their expectations are of themselves. So I think a lot of the time students come in and think that they need to be performing at a level of a therapist or, you know, being able to mirror exactly what we do in our work. And it's really about saying, no, that, that isn't the expectation. The expectation is that you are able to get something out of this for your own learning and really supporting them to reset their expectations that they have of themselves. I found that's been quite helpful in the past. Yeah, I, I think that, and I think often trying to frame it in terms of maybe where they are compared to their peers, because often we have a lot of experience. We've seen a lot of people at whatever level your learner's at. So reassuring them that if, if it's the truth, that they're at the same level as their peers or that they're performing exactly, yeah, they may not be at consultant level, but we never expect that, but they're exactly where we expect them to be for their level. Maybe this is what you can work on. Maybe this is, you know, but, but you're, you're okay. It, it can be hard because some of those things that learners have fears and anxiety about you can't take away like you can't promise someone a job or you can't promise someone they're going to pass an exam because but but I think you try to say well things work out for most people you're within average so almost all professions within healthcare have some sort of certain framework that where, where there's certain standards that are required to be met by individuals and that would even go down to a student level as well at university in terms of and the university will certainly have their own standards um, that they will have have set and it's probably important then to bring it back to what for the learner what those standards actually are and where they're actually meeting them and if you can actually really pinpoint so this is the certain standard that you're supposed to be doing you're meeting this particular standard by doing x y and z and i think if you can spell it out to them exactly what they what they have you can still address the problem that that they have and I think a lot of, certainly when, the, when I do feedback with my learners, a lot of the things that I try to encourage is about self-reflection and then trying to train them a little bit more in, in, in trying to turn around their self-reflection a little bit more. So I would probably concentrate my feedback sessions with them a lot more on the positive aspects. What are the things that they're doing really, really well a lot of? And only just kind of touch on the a couple of minor things that might be something that they need to kind of work on or whatever and that, but really kind of trying to, as, as you suggested, Danae, was to really, really push those things of what are they actually doing really well so that that way they can kind of, you know, it can be a bit more positively uplifting for them. On to the next scenario. 
Your female student consistently turns up to placement in very short skirts, probably too short to be considered professional. Shiv, can you go first with this one, please? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, God. Uh, so what would I do? Yeah, I, I, I feel less comfortable with the idea that it's something that needs attention, as in I think the body odor one in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I need to do something here. And then we talked about the ways you could go about that. I guess with this one, for whatever reason, I'm not so sure about. And, and I guess it would depend on ex- how unprofessional maybe I thought it was. Like, is this attire definitely unprofessional or is it just something that I perhaps think maybe, but other people might interpret as perfectly fine? So before I did anything, I'd probably want to double check kind of what the university guidance is on it and or just seek some counsel from colleagues. Yeah, to make sure that it's a fair assessment. And then I guess if it is a problem that needs attention, then probably then doing what we said in the first situation. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, we've got this idea of standards and, and professional attire. On the one hand, you want to think that, say, like age and gender and ethnicity and sexuality and things like that, like shouldn't, shouldn't matter in an ideal world. And so I should, and I shouldn't hide behind like a male, female divide and I should just give the feedback and it's unfair for me to, yeah, and I should just do it. But then on the other hand, you can't just ignore these things. I was going to say gone are the days where in the high schools where you, you know, you had to get the female students to kneel and yeah. just to check the height of the skirt, like above the knees and things like that, just to make sure that they're okay. Imagine doing that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine doing that with your student. Yeah, you're just saying, right, before you start, you've got to get on your knees and you've got to kneel and you've got to figure out what, like, what that height is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Danae? Yeah, um, when we orientate students initially, um, we do go through dress code and it, it, conveniently enough, it is just slacks. It is identified okay. straight from the get-go that it will just be slacks that are worn yep. um, and a polo shirt from the university. I think if there was a scenario, if the slacks were too short or um, it went down to that space, again, I think really um, wise to clarify it, that you're interpreting and your judgment of the situation is correct because it is a bit of a tricky one. I think... I would hope that if if I was directly supervising the student, I could maybe come at it from a bit more of a reflective space, depending on what the, where the student was at, with that their ability. I could say, oh, um, you know, have you noticed that the way that you dress is potentially different to how everyone else dresses in the workplace? If they had that level of insight, I think coming mm. at a student and saying, oh, you're just not dressing correctly. Yeah, I would, I would want it to be more of a collaborative conversation, if it could be. Yeah. If if the student had the ability to do that, if they didn't, I think it would just need to be addressed pretty directly. Yeah, and re- relating it back to professional standards. Yeah. It's a very individual yeah. thing as well, I yeah. think, because because someone who dresses like that, I think may that might just be how they always dress and that might be their way of, you know, showing who they are as a, as a person and things like that, similar to, you know, someone wearing tattoos and, yeah. and having them visible while they're at work and, and things like that. It's a like, way of expressing themselves. That's or, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Um, on to scenario number six, and this is what I call the invisible one. Your student doesn't say much, if anything, they don't ask for help. They don't ask any questions. Uh, if they're confused, they will barely answer any questions that you might give them as well. 
And this is exacerbated in a group learning activity where they won't engage at all. Yeah, that's a, they're, they're challenging students, aren't they? Like, because I, I think, let's say, if we compare it to the previous student who questioned everything, well, with, at least with that student that's questioning everything, you know that they're engaged. And, and once you've got a student who's engaged, like, that's often I feel like that's half the battle. Mm. Um, so I don't mind. Like, that's, you can work with that. When someone's not giving you clear signs that they're engaged, which like this student, it can be harder because some t- this this student might be onto everything, and it might just be their learning style, or it might be that they're not engaged. I guess it's something. This is something that I would try to you know in a one-on-one supervision meeting, um, talk to them about, and ideally get them to reflect on, and if they if they don't volunteer that maybe that they're you know on the quiet side that you could bring it up and I, and I think again you could couch it in like even if that's your learning style like say they say oh that's just my learning style I'm quiet I just absorb everything I don't feel the need to volunteer or anything and you know I'm taking it all in I think you can say well that's okay but you do need to speak up because like that's part of the expectation of learners and also I think for us like moving forward in your career often like your ability to progress and the way you're perceived in the workplace is a lot about how you interact in group situations and and probably you do need you don't need to speak all the time but you do need to be vocal so even if that's your learning style I'd still encourage you to 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 try to be a more active participant well i mean yeah cuz come reference time when when, yeah. when they when they need references one of the questions might be about how well they work in a team yeah exactly so I think that's why I think they need, why you owe it to them to give them some feedback that even if they're like a really high performing student in terms of their knowledge and they know the right things and they're just sitting there absorbing everything like a sponge, like that, that's still something that they need to work on because it is, they could, it is, it, it still might be detrimental to them in their professional career. Yeah. What about you, Danae? Yeah, I agree. I think it is, it would be really good to address in that, those one-on-one supervision sessions and you could really come at it from a perspective just, oh, I've observed that, you know, when you're in a group situation with other students that you're not as vocal and I was just kind of wondering what that might be about and kind of open the conversation in that way. I think if it did come down to it that they were just a bit more of an introverted student or um, that was part of their personality, I think agreeing with you, Shiv, I think it is important in especially in these biggest settings and big teams that we work in that you do need to, even if it doesn't come naturally to you, you need to develop those skills to be able to speak up yeah. confidently and participate in those bigger conversations. And I, I've actually had it in one instance that we then made that a goal of the placement so a student wasn't feeling comfortable speaking up in team settings, so we really kind of scaffolded how they would feed back at a MDT meeting. So it was started, uh, you know, we'd practice before we went to the meeting and then they would yeah. be able to report what they had to say. So yeah, right. you can kind of integrate it into their learning in that sense. I was, I, was, I think that's, it's great that you've done that in practice because I was just thinking that like, say, if you know that you have a group learning situation, particularly if you're going to be facilitating it or you know the person who is, if you can agree with the student that they're going to try and then maybe the facilitator can make it easier for them by you know, maybe calling, you know. Directly asking directly, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, I mean, that's even better, like creating a scenario that they, they can prepare for and it's predictable and planned that they can practice for. Like that would be a, a way to build confidence and yeah, break yeah. down. 
look, I must admit, uh, I've actually had quite a number of students in the past that have that have gone into this type of bracket as well. And I tend to have three different approaches, um, but all kind of intertwined at the same time. One of which is what I tend to say to them is I say, you get out of this placement whatever you put into this placement. So if you're going to put in uh, an effort and actually um, talk to people and ask questions and things like that, then people are going to be more likely to teach you. Uh, if you're going to show that you're disinterested, however, well, not disinterested, but if you're going to if you're going to be very quiet, it's going to come across that you're disinterested, and then people won't take the time to to teach you anything. And so your learning experiences are actually hampered by the fact that you're actually being quiet in that sense. I would obviously use different terminology. Yeah, yeah. Say that. a bit more gentle. Yeah, with delivery. yeah no, that sounded very harsh. <laughs> The second approach is similar to what we were talking about, about, about that group activity, and that is that in, in that group activity, then you could make it a little bit more of an even approach to basically say, right, every time we're running a group scenario or a group, or group activity, I'm going to be asking all of you questions. So you will get asked questions at some point anyway, um, which you would then be expected to answer. And then the third approach would be to perhaps find out a little bit about them What's, if they're being very, very quiet, is that what they're normally like, like as you suggested before, Shiv? Or is there something else going on for them in their life or at home or something like that that might be actually affecting their learning process? And you'd be surprised sometimes how often you, have, you start that discussion and then the floodgates open and a lot more stuff yep. kind of comes out because that's when you can then start to bring the education provider in and start to talk to them a little bit more about... Um, What's what this student's going through? That's something they may not have necessarily divulged. Well, the the education provider may know a lot more about this student than you thought that they did. So, uh, an interesting one. Number seven, the cultural one. So now we move into this situation where you have a male international student who acts very differently with his male supervisors than his female ones. From his male supervisors, he listens, responds, and reinforces what he has learned from them. But from his female ones, he barely speaks to them, doesn't follow instructions, does not engage in feedback. And this, the female supervisors have now made a complaint for you as the head supervisor. Yeah, I mean, I think this one needs a one-on-one meeting. And I think, again, you know, you could, you could probably start with a, some reflection on the topic and see if anything gets volunteered. But I think probably from the sounds of that scenario, you're going to have to explicitly say it. And I think you need it to come across like a very clear message that the behavior is unacceptable. Everyone needs to be treated evenly, full stop. And I guess part of it would be that message. And then I think part of it would be trying to come up with a plan to make sure that the behaviors changed, both for that, because that's what needs to happen, but that's going to be best for the student as well as your supervisory team. So just, you know, whether it's that we're going to check back in in a week and I'm going to ask all of your supervisors for feedback and then we're going to discuss that feedback in a week and I'm going to, we're going to expect that behaviour's changed, mm. depend on the severity of it and, and whether there's any response to that first meeting. Yeah, what do you think, Danae? Yeah, it's a really tricky one. I think the meeting would definitely have to occur with the female supervisors, maybe not if there was a number of them, maybe not all of them, so the student isn't kind of overwhelmed by lots of supervisors to one student, but I think it would definitely have to involve one of the female supervisors and a male supervisor to deliver that message. And I I think it would be tricky, and I'd be very curious to know what you guys think as well. Would you explicitly call it out and say, is it because of cultural reasons that you're not valuing your female 
supervisors are saying or do you just say this has been observed and it's not acceptable behaviour in this workplace? Mm. I mean, I think probably, to be honest, I don't think I would delve into mm. it because yeah, in a sense that's a bit irrelevant, I think. Yeah, I think I would agree. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about what's accepted exactly, in your own workplace yeah. more than anything else. Yes, yeah, it, it yeah. is about So this is the expectation about what we have in our workplace. Yeah. This is the way that you should be acting, irrespective yes. of what's causing that problem. Yes. This is how we, we expect you to be in this in yeah. this area. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. I'm just trying to think, like, I, I think where the difference is, is I think there are some situations where I would try to tease out, are there some background factors that are explaining the behavior in my learner, but I think that would be more when the learner is the vulnerable one and things aren't uh, to the detriment of my learner and I'm trying to work out how best to support them and I need a more broad understanding. Like let's say with that previous thing with a quiet student, like if for some reason you, they appeared to be from a different cultural background whereby maybe students were expected to be quiet, like, so in that situation, I might try to tease out the, the role of their background in explaining their behavior and how to support it. But in this situation where it's like, these are the, these are the standards of our workplace, apart from anything else, we can't compromise on that. There, there was another uh, scenario that was kind of very similar to that, um, that I had in there too, which was that you had a mature age student being supervised by more younger junior supervisors and that they won't accept feedback from them, but only from their more senior ones. It's a very similar kind of situation that, you know, we're all, you're here to learn whether it's from people who are more junior or not in that case. The next one is what we call the side last. So this is the student that sticks by the side of their supervisor wherever they go, joined at the hip effectively. They have little regard for personal space, can't really read the room when it comes to understanding that the supervisor has their own work to do. And one of the supervisors comes to tell you that there's a problem. You know, going back to expectations, reminding the student that the, their supervisor's got, you know, primary role as, as a clinician, explaining that from a student point, of, a learner point of view, it's important that they can have some autonomous function and work with a range of people because that's an important skill moving forward in their career. Yeah, I think if a colleague had, had come to me with this scenario, I would also go back to what the student's timetable looks like because mm. as a supervisor, you can often build in time where the student is expected to be autonomous and at the beginning of the placement you would set that as an expectation. So, you know, in some circumstances there would be a student project across the placement and that is what they would then do to in those periods of time so the supervisor can have a break and the student can be working on something at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have two more to go. The overconfident one. So this student thinks that they are the bee's knees of the profession, God's gift to medicine. They know everything, they know how to do everything, and as a result, they don't listen to advice or feedback, and God forbid they could ask a question. And in fact, they might have even been receiving positive feedback from others, but you've just worked with them and you've realised that they're not as good as they think that they are. What do we do there? In that circumstance, if the um, student is quite concrete in their thinking and very confident in what they're doing, I think you would have to come back to a framework to be able to give them those concrete examples. It'd be needed to be handled in a delicate way so the student doesn't feel like you're taking them down because yeah. you, don't, you don't want to get rid of all that confidence. Confidence is good. Yeah, it is. It, it, yeah, it just needs to be contained in a way that doesn't obstruct learning opportunities, which in some circumstances it can. Yeah. 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 I guess every now and then you do get a student who might 
be super confident and be super good. And I think even if you are good and even if you are above expectation, you know, you still, you want to be a lifelong learner and there's, you know, there's always something you could be doing better. People who are, who are even way more senior than me have been doing the job, you know, and for 30 years, they're still learning and trying to get better and, and, mm. and, um, develop. And even though, you know, they'd be some of the best people in the world at what they do and they're still asking questions and they're still reflecting. And, and so that's a really important skill for a lifetime of practice. And so, so kind of, um, highlighting that. Okay. The last one is the misguided one. So we see this a, a little bit from our students who have a lack of maturity or life experience. So people who, you know, come into a, a clinical placement, but haven't, have never worked like a part-time job, for example, right? The student is, has very little professional awareness and it can be expressed in many ways. So they may speak to patients and families, sorry, the way they speak to patients and family, the, the way they speak to staff, asking personal questions, asking staff questions at the wrong time, all the way through to asking them if they can go to the toilet or not. Or they may mean well, but when they speak to patients and families, they may come across as a little bit cold sometimes as well. So how do we deal with those? I think it's defining like specific examples. I think if you're needing to get that specific with a student around um, the way that they are behaving and sometimes it is common with students that you're not only trying to teach clinical skills, sometimes you're just trying to teach basic social skills as well. And I feel like this is quite a similar example to that. Mm -hmm. And I think it is really like taking the specific example and reviewing it with the student. So saying, you know, we're in this session and you asked a family this, um, reflecting back on it now, would have you have done anything differently? Or, you know, how do you think that behaviour was in, in a workplace? Yeah. And I think it is really just... And I think it has to be quite immediate as well to, for the learning to be effective. You can't have that have happened on a Tuesday and then be addressing it on a Friday. Right. I think it has to happen quite immediately, you know, maybe not. Again, it's tricky. You've got, you've got clinical things to do. Sometimes there isn't the space to sit down straight afterwards, but even if it's the happens of an afternoon before they go home, I think if you're needing to be that specific around skill development, it has to happen quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. It can be really tricky to work out the timing of that feedback. Uh, it, there needs to be a, a relative immediacy about it. And again, that might mean that say you're getting this feedback from multiple people and, but you're the supervisor, it might be like, oh, I'll discuss this with the learner, but also, you know, I think it would be helpful for you to give some of that feedback in real time as well. Yeah, and you've just got to hope that they learn over time, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think if, if they don't, because in some circumstances it is really tricky for students to do that amount of learning across a placement if it's, you know, seven or eight weeks. And I think sometimes it is helpful to be able to get the educator's advice as well. So, you know, liaising with the uni around what extra scaffolding could be put in place because this isn't probably something that's just going to be an issue on the current placement, but it is going to have a flow on effect for other placements as well. So you want to make sure that that student has the support ongoing. I think a lot of education providers are actually really good at saying, this is the way that you should behave while you're out on clinical placement anyway. But to add to that, I think if I was giving feedback, I would say, watch what some of the junior staff are doing and model yourself to the way that they act around work ethic and, and things like that, particularly if they haven't had a previous part-time job or something like that as well. I'm done with torturing you guys with, uh, with the scenarios. So thanks for jumping in and, and having a go. For those who are listening, I would like to say this, that every single scenario that I gave, 
both Shiv and Danae were there nodding their heads as if to go, I've had one of these before. <laughs> so it does happen a lot more than you think. We often do get some time to prepare these conversations, but they sometimes do have to happen very, very quickly. And they're seriously never very easy conversations to have. And hats off to any supervisor that does it. We've likely all heard horror stories of people just blurting something out that hasn't done anyone any favors. So something like, you know, you stink or something like that, for example. But hopefully after this podcast, uh, everyone can come away from this feeling a little bit more confident about how to deal with a tricky scenario. Um, and one big thing to note, don't ever go it alone. If you're going to be delivering bad feedback or anything like that, um, chat to a trusted colleague and in most, if not all situations, have the conversation with the learner with someone else there present as well. So that way it's not a bit of a, you know, he said, she said situation as well. Uh, Shiv, Danae, thanks for joining me today on this. I hope you had as much fun as I did with it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics. 